Welcome to the Mum Mind podcast, or how to stop your mother falling out of your mouth. I'm Steph McSherry, mum of two and creator of Kinderama, a multi-activity program for younger kids. And I've been working with the under sixes for 20 years. Hello, I'm Bethan O'Reardon. I'm a mum of three and I'm a psychotherapist and I run the Cam Parenting Club. So each week, Steph and I are going to answer one of your parenting questions, come up with some practical solutions, sharing our experience and help make your life easier. And if you can click the like, follow, subscribe button on the platform that you're listening to us on, that would be a massive help. Yeah, absolutely. So this week, we're tackling a really tricky subject. I got an email through from a parent asking, how can I help my 16 year old who is actively suicidal? Um, I feel really nervous for some reason. I know, it's a really <laughs> tricky subject. So I guess, you know, the title of the podcast kind of gives it away, trigger warning, not for little ears and all of that. Um, yeah. And even if it it, you know, it could be a trigger for you, maybe not, yeah. this episode isn't for you. Maybe. Yeah, that's it. But I think also if you don't have a 16 year old who is suicidal, it's still a good one to listen into. Mm, because, because you never know one day, God forbid, all of that. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's about how we help our children, really. Mm. But it's narrowed into the the lens of suicide for this episode. But I'm going to do my best to explain um, from my experience working with people who want to end their life, how how I've supported them, what things they've presented with, what they have told me about their parents that has helped um, you know, I think sometimes I've, I'm like blown away in my job because I get to be with people in these moments and I get to learn so much and it's so delicate. I remember, so I trained in suicide studies when my husband and I were dating. I remember that because they all wanted to know how my second date went <laughs> with, with my boyfriend at the time. Aww. So, I mean, so, I mean, I'm an old gray haired woman now, so that was a long time ago. But I always remember, we always started with a Yeats quote that said, tread softly because you tread on my dreams or something like that. If you're a okay. old person and, yeah. you know, that and may you not be the yeah. actual words. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you remember quotes better than me, but I think that's it. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. And that is what we have to remember mm. is to go really, really, really slow. So I'm also a former therapist in Pieta House. I worked in addiction and homelessness for many years as well. Although not as my husband always says, not as many years as you think you did, because you kept having babies. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, then yes, I did. I did take maternity breaks. In between having babies. In, but yeah, yes. but, but for many years. And now in my private practice, I, over the last couple of years, I have met so many teenagers young adults who are actively suicidal and actively want to end their life um which is very so, sad yeah it's really sad so I've made notes because it's such a big Do. topic so I, so if I get stuck it's because I can't read my own handwriting again um it it is really sad but here's the thing and, and this is this might seem really like you're gonna say to me Bethan how the heck did you do that but you know the biggest thing that the kids say to me is the worst bit for them is that when they see their parents faces their parents are so scared okay so like so I always say to parents you need to become safe 
And I know I'm not saying that you're not allowed to be scared. I mean, I see parents' faces when they drop off their kids to me. You know, I I I, I get it. I see it. But what children need, and, and I'm just saying children, even though like this person was 16, uh, you know, consider it to be children, young adults and teenagers yeah. that I'm talking about. OK, because yeah. when I was a youth worker, anyone over the age of 13 was a young adult. But I, you know, I can't say the right thing all the time because I'm a human being too. Yeah, that's okay. So it's the fear. I know that parents have loads of fear, but children need to know from their parents that they can support them. So invariably, invariably, this means that parents, you need to get help. All the time I hear parents say to me, you know, uh, but I want you to work with my child. It's not me that's having the problem. It's my child. And I say, yeah, but you need to know how to support your child. All of your fear, your child is going to pick up on. Like my experience is, is that when parents can't, don't have an outlet for their fear, children's self-harm and suicidal thoughts get worse because they know. Children know. Children pick up on it. So and I'm assuming fear can be, this is terrifying for me. But yeah. that, that's not necessarily what we're saying. It, it's like, oh, I can't handle this. I can't cope yeah, with well, this. Yeah, everything. All yeah. fear. That I mean, it is terrifying. There is nothing more terrifying than your child actively wanting to end their life. And usually parents find out because children write them a letter. This is my experience is that they receive a letter and then parents go into free fall, you know, um, which is fine. No one's supposed to know what to do. I mean, that did yeah. not come in the training manual, but it's essential that both of you or all of you get therapy. Okay. okay? Which again is why I set up the Cam Parenting Club, because yeah. it's like a low cost way of come here and I will help guide you through this because this is all money as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's money for your child's therapy, money for your own therapy. Maybe you don't have that money, but also there is Pieta House. You know, Pieta House offers free therapy to children and families. So never forget that. And they, I think they have a 24 hour telephone support service as well. We might you put know. that in the blurb for the show just for anyone that's listening that needs that. Yeah. So if you're in crisis, don't be alone in it. And yeah. that's actually my first point. My first point is to get therapy for your child. Because I know many families I worked with who said, well, they did say this about a year ago, but I just told them they would be fine. I told them that they would be okay, which is lovely to hear. I mean, I like hearing nice things. But the tricky thing about that is, and the tricky thing about being positive, and this is something I hear all the time from the young adults I work with, is, is that it makes them feel worse. It makes them feel worse when their parents say, God, but you're so nice. You're such a lovely kid. You're beautiful. You have so much going for you. You're so lovely because that's not how they feel. And so does that mean they feel unheard? Totally. Right. And then in a, in a therapeutic context, it means that that thought is still floating around in outer space. That thought still is not grounded in the security of the relationship with the parent. Okay. Right. So there is a scale of suicide as well. You know, I, I mean, most people I meet in the world, in the world, that's massive, <laughs> in my life, <laughs> have thought about suicide themselves, have wondered, God, I wonder what would happen if I ended my life. You know, I mean, 
I know I used to be a youth worker and the teenagers were always chatting like, would you rather drown or would you rather this or would you rather that? Just as like a conversation piece, mm. right? Um, I know many adults who have thought of it, but would never actively do it. It yep. was just, it was just, it's the way like we have thoughts in our head. Thoughts come into our head all the time. Kind of like when you're walking on a cliff and you say, oh, I wonder what it would be like to just tip over yeah. the cliff, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's no intention behind it. No. Okay. So there's a huge scale. Um, There's a huge scale of suicide. And, you know, parents come to me and say, God, my six-year-old said um, that they hated themselves, that they wish they were dead. You know, is that the beginning of a suicidal thought? I don't know. I mean, it depends on the context. It depends how your child is. It depends on so many things. But pay attention to it. Pay attention to it because this is this is your child beginning to understand that they have different voices in their head. You know, Steph, I'm a therapist. I've been in therapy for probably over 20 years of my life now. And I still have a voice that sometimes tries to trip me up and tell me I'm no good, mm. that I should have done better. You know, I listen back to our podcast and I think, why didn't I explain that a bit better? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, why did I fluff my words then when I know what I'm talking about? But because I'm a therapist and because I put lots of work into it, I know how to manage those thoughts and they're not dangerous for me. But young children young adults adults need help understanding that this is a voice in your head yeah we all have a voice that tells us we're no good we all have a voice that tells us nasty things about ourselves but it's the relationship with the parent or the caregiver when a child is younger that helps create the edge of that so it doesn't just go on unended and become this voice that takes over does that make sense yeah absolutely um how is there a way to spot a child that is going down that path like generally I know we're kind of not talking about every child but you know does a child become more withdrawn quieter go into themselves more I don't know I mean so I've been thinking about this I I was trying to think how many people I've met in the therapy room who have been suicidal and I think it's like over 200 people and I can honestly wow. say that every case was different I mean if you see there is a difference in your child then there is a difference in your child but also parents say to me I had no idea mm. I had no clue that my child was feeling this way I had no clue my child was thinking these thoughts you know sometimes I meet someone who's like 15 and I I mean and just so you know, when I meet someone who's like 13, 14, 15 suicidal, we don't talk about suicide all the time. I talk about their life and their friends and what they do and if they have a dog or I try and get a sense of who they are. And then I dip in and out of it because going into it is so, you know, tread softly because yeah. you tread on my dreams, you know, and, and, and over time, we may figure out that this voice has been there from when they were seven or eight that they can remember. So I don't know. I mean, every child is different and every person is different. No, I, I wish I could say, like, look out for these five things, parents, oh, and you'll I be know. grand. Yeah. I wish I could. I so wish I could. You used a term when you were describing this particular child as actively suicidal. What does that mean? 
Yeah. So I guess at the other, so there's the one end of the scale is like, oh, I wonder what it'd be like if I threw myself off a cliff, you know, that like, oh. And then the other end of the scale is having a plan, is okay. actively having a plan. And um, and the other thing is giving things away as well. Oh, if there's somebody in your life that starts giving away stuff as gifts and you think, God, the, you think, oh, that's lovely. They're like, oh, thanks for this gift. But, you know, that would be one of the markers as well. Okay. I, I think so. If you're really interested in this, there's the National Office of Suicide Prevention, NSOP.ie, I think. I mean, I, I've. I feel like I could have gone on there and got all my stats about suicide and stuff before mm. we came on the podcast. But one, I didn't. We record this at 9 a.m. on a Thursday and my daughter's home. So I wanted to spend time with her today. She's off school sick. And also sometimes getting caught up in the literature is a total distraction from feelings. You know, always remember we have the language of logic and we have the language of feelings. And if I was here spouting um statistics facts, yeah facts yeah. and figures you get distracted and actually yeah. if you're a parent or a family in crisis it's probably the last thing you want to hear you, you yes. want to know how to help your own child right yeah but interestingly this is the this is the mistake and I use the word mistake lightly I'm a parent of three kids I mean I make mistakes all the time I just can't think of a better way to say it you know yeah um this is something this is like the biggest feedback I receive from clients I work with who are under 18. Um, I'm just going to read it here because I wrote it down. So this is one of the biggest things I hear is my parent actually makes it work worse because they just keep talking to me. And they just keep saying nice things. Rather than listening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, I might do a piece of work with a family or a child where I know they're coming up to a stressful time. So there's, so maybe their suicide ideation is going to get worse. And um, suicide ideation is the thinking of suicide and the active planning of the act of ending your life by suicide. And I say, okay, well, let's slow this down. This thing is going to happen, like this event in school, say, and then you think you might be very critical and then we don't know how that's going to end for you. And I'll slow it down and slow it down. So, you know, and sometimes the solution is I want to go home and tell my parents, but I don't want them to say anything. I want them to hear and then I want them to hug me. But when they hug me, I don't want to feel their heartbeat racing at a million miles an hour. I want a hug that I can melt in. Wow, that's a huge ask, isn't it? Like as a parent, I know that that's a huge ask because the, yeah. the fear that must be coursing through that parent's veins. But isn't it interesting that they don't want you to say anything? Yeah, no, stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I say parents come to me or come to another therapist and talk, 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 talk there. You know, get it all out because you're not, you are going to have loads of thoughts about this. You're going to have loads of feelings. You're going to have loads of fears but your child doesn't need them. If you'd like to become a calmer parent and are looking for answers to help your child, then join my online parenting community, the Cam Parenting Club, and get the answers that you're looking for to be the parent and person that you'd like to be. Go to my website, bethanoreardon.com, and I'll see you inside soon. I'm picturing a teenager, say, in a bedroom that's just let their parent know they're feeling like this. 
they've had the hug and they're sat there but no one's talking yeah but that you that's what they need they need you to be there with them not necessarily talking yeah i mean and and this is where again it's individual for every mm. family sometimes they might need you to talk right this is only my feedback um from what i've experienced over the last sort of 18 years but it's also about naming things mm. you know after that if things feel very awkward it's god this is really awkward isn't it you know are you feeling uncomfortable as well yeah okay but the biggest thing i want parents to remember is is that your child needs you to f- needs you to feel safe right so like when people and and i i can only describe it for myself so when people come into the therapy room i go into this totally different place it's funny i went for dinner with a friend at the weekend and she said i'm listening to your podcast you sound nothing like you <laughs> i said well that's because i go off to this other yeah. realm realm inside of me and she's like firstly you don't swear on your podcast so <laughs> <laughs> they should I, hear the outtakes <laughs> yeah i said well that's because steph told me not to i'm yeah. on a strict strict warning you have no idea how many things i edit out <laughs> yeah. i'm out like a sailor oh. so what i do is i prepare myself i prepare myself to meet my clients i prepare myself to meet my children if i know they're having a hard time if I know they're going to need me to be their rock, because the role of a parent is to prepare yourself mentally and physically and emotionally to carry your children's emotions, to take them off them and you regulate them. Right. It's not for your child to regulate. And that's so much easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, it totally is. But I'm, do you know what I'm doing at the minute? I'm drawing up like guides, like a physical guide for like, this is the five things you have to do because actually that bit's the easiest. That bit is the easiest. So what I say to parents is, because what we're talking about is your physiology. Now, that's a big word and I'm no neuroscientist. I'm no biologist, but my understanding of it is, is that the thoughts you have in your head impact your body and then your body sends a message back to your brain for how you think. So that that was the, that is me really breaking it down. Fairly, okay. You know, so child tells you that they're actively suicidal. You go into a panic, your heart starts beating, your stomach might get crampy. You might need to run to the bathroom. All the signs you get oh sorry all the signs you get of being um overwhelmed anxious stressed out fear you know all those yeah, you're, terrified you're, you're, yeah terrified that's the word so it's possible to create another state of being alongside that and you dip in and out of it so for me and what I say to parents is go back to when your child was a baby did you ever have, and this is kind of like sensitive ground because some people had like terrible birth experiences. I did. Some people had hated breastfeeding. Some people hated bottle feeding. But find a memory when you felt really, really, really connected to that child. Like I have this memory of my daughter, Ruby, when she slept on my chest one day and she was tiny. I mean, she was actually huge as babies go, but she was tiny, huge, you know. 
and um and it was so warm and I still remember the smell this is a decade ago I remember the smell I was in my friend's house she was just giving me tea and I was just sitting there and that changes my physiology when I remember that so when I go and talk to my child from that place that is a really different place like my heart my body feels warm I, I, my eyes are smiling my face is smiling like I know in that place, I can handle and tolerate anything. So parents have to find that place within them. And it's much easier to do it through recalling a memory than think to yourself, right, okay, I must be calm, I must be safe, I must be, must be. It's about recalling a time that you felt, you knew you had that child and making your body remember that experience rather than the sitting in front of them now when things are really difficult. And I'm picturing somebody, if if somebody has had a very difficult relationship with their child throughout, I'm guessing that would work because we've talked about these kind of brain tricks on here before. I'm guessing that would work of recalling any type of memory yeah. that puts you at ease, makes you comfortable, you know, gives you that real kind of satisfaction inside. Yeah. I mean, for some people, it might be like, I'm trying to think of stuff I've heard in the therapy room over the years. Uh, the time someone took a clipping from a plant and it potted and now they've got like a tree from it or a plant it might be a memory of driving through the fields in the countryside somewhere and just remembering the sun touching their skin yeah or sitting on a beach and the smell of sun cream and you know the salty air and yeah. I think anything that's going to put you in that mind frame because yeah. that fight I can feel that fight or flight kicking in and yeah. you, you know that it's really hard to kind of overcome that and say, remember what Bethan said, I need to get yeah. to this calm place to handle this, to absorb this for my child. Yeah. And what we're talking about is a snapshot of it. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like a nanosecond and, and the recreation of a memory in the mind. For some people, it's like looking at a picture postcard and for some, it's just a felt sensation. And so, you know, Again, my experience with families is that say the say there's a mom and dad and the mom and dad are still together. Um, you know, it might be that you can create this sensation for when you're talking to your child and, and, and lying on the couch with them or hanging out with them. Because isolation is very dangerous for someone who's suicidal. Just just to note that as well. But then the rest of the time, you're totally high on adrenaline and you're making plans with your partner and you're and you think, okay, well, how are we going to get through this? The logistics of how are we going to make sure someone is with my child all the time? Um, you know, that's when you need your adrenaline to like go, 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 go. You know, don't, yeah. you know, don't, don't, don't think you don't need your fight and flight. You absolutely do. That is going to get you through this crisis. But your child needs you to feel safe in those moments. So that's something very practical that you've just shared and didn't even enter my head, to be honest, that okay. you need to make sure someone is with that child all the time. Yeah. And not with them in this kind of like <laughs> following them around like an annoying mosquito. Yeah. Because yeah. again, that is like, well, that is really bad and really annoying. But it's also, um, I know you might have to sleep in the room with the child for a bit. Again, you see, I, lo I hear lots of parents say to me things like, I'm really tired and I just want to go to bed and they're saying that they can't get to sleep but I just go to bed and they said that they were up till two in the morning on their and own say, yeah and I say okay well and, and again this is with no judgment to parents like I didn't know how to fry an egg until I was stood in front of a frying pan 
making a holy show of it, you know, and, and, and it's the same with anything in life. You don't know what you're doing until you're faced with it. Mm. But parents, I can't emphasize enough how much your child needs you to wrap them up in cotton wool and be with them and see them and see what they're going through and see the experience of it and totally care and love for them through it and use your empathy. Let them know that you get this is really hard. I mean, I've had I've had people come to me and they saw a different kind of therapist who told them like, well, this is really bad that you're thinking this, you know, like it's not bad, but it's that so your whole family life might need to change. You know, you might need to take a pause from your work for a month or two. You might need to, I, I don't know. I mean, again, parents say, oh, we can't come to appointments because we've the other children to look after. I say, well, you need to get a childminder. You need to get a babysitter. You need to take them to, if you haven't got the yeah, money because for that, what's the alternative? Okay. The alternative is potentially losing this child. Yeah. And so if it means you're up till two in the morning chatting through or just watching movies, well, that's what you do. You know, that's, that's just it. This is, this, this is, is a drop everything crisis. That, yeah. 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 And, okay. and I do. And I, I mean, again, my experience is, is that that's really hard for a lot of parents. Of course. The you practicalities know, I, of that, is, you know, even just hearing it, it's like, geez, what would you do? But yeah. I think it's important to remember what the alternative is. Yeah. But even emotionally as well, a lot of parents could feel, um, a real hatred for their child who is suicidal, a disgust, a shame, a rage, an anger, a, a real peed off with them for making this happen. Okay. And if that's you, parents, you need to get help for that. Yeah. You know, if that's if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But that's not the safety that your child is looking for. I remember watching a documentary about um, somebody that I vaguely knew that committed suicide in the UK. Um, and they were talking about he he had committed suicide. Sorry, you said not to use that word committed. He had died by suicide. Yeah. So just to say that when I did my suicide training, um, it was about not talking about people committing because committing is a crime. And I I don't, I, again, this is where I could have done my research, but I didn't. You know, it was illegal to die by suicide until recently in Ireland. So you mm. couldn't be buried in a church. You couldn't have a religious um, ceremony. Or ceremony. Burial. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the word. There's a lot so, of shame around it still, I think, in Ireland in particular because of that. Because it, it used to be a crime. It used to be that, that, that you couldn't be buried in the family plot or whatever. So I, I do feel there's a lot of um, historical shame about it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe not bizarrely, but also shame is the feeling that underpins suicide as well. Shame is the feeling that underpins suicidal thought and suicidal intentions. So it's shame from all angles, which is why... Oh, sorry, on you go. go. on. No, I, the, well, the point I was going to make was they, they said in this documentary that it was really important to name it because we're so cautious with that word, suicide, that if you had a colleague or a friend or indeed a child that, that you knew was behaving differently, that you knew was something was off, that you actually said to them, are you feeling suicidal? And they said this was really important to to take the power out of it. 
so that it's not something hidden and shameful like you were just saying so that if that child or that friend or that colleague is having that it it actually almost jolts them back to a reality and they might not necessarily say yes I am but they're aware that you're on their radar you see them yeah yeah and I think anything that helps anyone be seen yeah, you know, and 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 it might it might be that the word suicide maybe someone doesn't really understand, but it's that are you having thoughts of ending your life? Are you having thoughts of not wanting to be here anymore? And we know that the mind is a very visual thing, you know. Um, so for lots of people, they can be visualizing things that are really scary, and actually sharing what they're visualizing can be really helpful. And totally scary to hear as a parent. But remember, it's only a thought. And if we can catch it when it's a thought, and then that's more helpful. Because you mm-hmm. can keep that, you can help to keep that safe. So if you're having those conversations before those thoughts become more of a reality, that's a safer place to be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, and and, and it's and it's just to know... God, that's really scary to be having the the to have those visions in your head, that your head can create those pictures for you. Are most young adults, teenagers, happy to go to counselling? Everyone it, who I meet is okay. It's a relief. Yeah, I had one person leave the therapy room once. They weren't suicidal, and it was great. I mean, again, I can't say it here, but they came in and they were like. I'm not effing staying in this blah, 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 blah of a room. I said, great. You know, maybe it was the only decision they were allowed to make in their life. And they went, I said, super, you know where I am, you know, but yeah, most people are because it's so scary for them, mm. you know? And again, like as part of my suicide studies that I did, um, people would say, oh, is it because someone's depressed? But when I was training, we were taught, no, someone is past the point of depression when they're suicidal. And I think that it's often because depression is like a, a thinking, like oh, I'm, I'm feeling depressed. But when you're that far into suicidal thinking, it's that you're not really feeling anymore. You yeah, know, has the logical brain kind of gone off somewhere? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because for most people... Mm-hmm. They think about what would happen to my family, how would this be? I couldn't that that part of your brain kicks in and says, geez, you couldn't you couldn't do that. So has that gone offline somewhere for somebody that really is contemplating suicide? I think it's really hard. I mean, people that I've met, that is a huge burden for them, is the burden of thinking of their families. Okay. And and it adds to the weight of and the other thing is that it can be really disappointing for people who've tried to end their lives and it didn't work that can also add to the shame and add to the burden of being who they are. Is you know, I tried to end my life and someone cut the rope. I tried to take the tablets and someone pumped my stomach. And that can be a really awful place to be, you know, a really awful place to be that not even my suicide plan worked. That's how terrible I am, you know? But I I, I wanted to talk a little about shame, if that's okay. Mm. It's really heavy. It's really heavy talking about this, isn't it, Steph? It is. And it's very, I can't imagine what it's like going through it because it's, it's really hard hearing it and even vaguely picturing it. Yeah. And you see, this is it. We're picturing it. 
Yeah. You know, it's really hard not to picture it in some way, you know, God, yeah. what would you, you know? So I'm always interested in, this is like a genuine um, philosophical question that I don't know the answer to yet. So if someone comes to me and say they're 13, 14, 15, 16, any age really, but let's stick with that age for the purpose of the email we got in. And I say, oh my God, you know, my child is actively suicidal. This is awful. I feel so sorry for them. What can I do? And everyone goes, oh my God, that is awful. We are all going to help. Schools help. Doctors help. I mean, there is like a whole, there can be like a whole professional and perhaps family community response. And then I think of like a two, three, four, five-year-old, right? Who is letting us know that they are not okay. I'm not saying that they're going to become suicidal. They're, they're different things, but bear with me. Mm. I'm thinking of a small child who's letting us know they're not okay by name calling, by hitting, by kicking, by punching, by screaming, all these things. And we give out to them. We put them on the naughty step. You know, we, we try and get them to be different. So when do we start accepting and tolerating that people's expressions of how they're feeling is okay? Like, it's not okay for the toddler to lose their marbles in public and we get all embarrassed. And, oh, God, you know, uh, you know, well, well, you, well, you can't come to the shops with me ever again. You know, you've been bold. But fast forward 10 or so years when that person's not okay, we all support them. You mm. know, and, and it's something that I often think about as a mum, as a therapist, as someone who's trying to advocate for children a lot of the time and advocate for parents who want to do different you know and I, I I always wonder because that's when shame starts shame starts in children how we as parents relate to them when they're younger you know this acceptance that we're that we're talking about at the maybe acceptance is the wrong word but this kind of recognition of the suicide like you need to be safe you need to be safe you need to your child needs to feel that you've got them but this just doesn't start when your kid is suicidal when they're 15 this starts when they're two or three and if you can't that is okay I don't know many parents who were born able to tolerate their children I couldn't even tolerate myself when I had a baby let alone somebody else because I changed right so I had to figure out who the heck am I how am I going to manage these things I turned into this person I didn't want to be you know I was really angry I was really upset I had a horrible birth I was like I, can't, I st still can't believe I got sent home with a baby with the wounds that I did. I feel that like if I was in some kind of accident, I would never have been expected to then go home and look after a baby. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think, what the hell? But parents, this is when it starts. This is when it starts. You know, I meet so many teenagers who have had, they would say, oh, I've had a really difficult relationship with my parent ever since I was four. So parents, now is the time to sort that out. You know? Yeah, I think the last two minutes of what you've just said is just, it's kind of why we're sat here, isn't it? Like, yeah. that is the whole reason why. Think about what you just said. You know, if we can be with a three-year-old that's losing their marbles and just be there, because when they come out of that tantrum thing where they're not in control, they are not in control of that tantrum. And you're just there to mop up the tears and give them a hug and then move on you know, without it being this big, how dare you behave like that in front of everyone, da, 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 da. The shame that comes in there is so relevant when they're a teenager. Yeah. 
because our bodies hold the score. Our bodies remember everything. And, and, and just to put this into perspective, I think the parents that are like, what, are you expecting us to be like superhuman or something? That's just you going into your threat system because this feels overwhelming. And it's like, well, if it's not you who accepts your child, who does? Do you just pay a therapist once a week for an hour or two? And I don't mean that in a flippant way, but I will yeah. totally love your child. I will totally care for your child. I will do my absolute best. But I meet them for an hour. You have the luxury of 24-7. And I know that can be a hard 24-7. Like even in our house, we had, um, I won't name names, <gasps> but, but, but we've had a big week with one of my kids. You know, I mean, honestly, I thought... And the door got slammed so loudly, I was amazed it wasn't broken. You know, I'm really, really amazed. And at one point we had six minutes to get out of bed and dressed and leave the door for school, right? And I just knew there was something going on. And in the end, I took that child, we managed to get dressed and I took them for a cinnamon bun before school. And like, it went okay. And that child gave me a really, really massive hug. They didn't have to. I didn't say anything about their behavior. I just tried to gently encourage them. When they didn't want to move, I, what can I do? I'm not going to bring in a forklift truck and make them get dressed, you know. Yeah. But it lets me know they're not okay. And that was it, right? Sometimes we just go through a hard time. And all you have to do as a parent is stand back and follow it. Because you can't make anyone do anything, you know. Oh, yeah. That's so important. So sometimes I think in, in my, in my practice, suicide is about f forgetting how to solve problems. So I'm really big into, I don't know, I will find the science behind this, not just Bethan's science of, um, cause suicide is being stuck. It's like narrowed vision and it's a focusing on one thing. And so in a brain capacity, we need to help people outthink that or be able to think other things. So you like know? you're stuck in a loop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think problem solving is huge. So, you know, even when the kids are little and they've got their feet on the wrong shoes on the wrong feet and they've got banana feet because they're bending the wrong way and, you know, don't fix them for them. Say to them, hey, there's something different about your feet. Is that right mm -hmm. or wrong? <laughs> you know, help them put the key in the door and unlock the door. You know, help them figure out, like, you know, how do I make toast? I don't know. How do you think you might make toast? Do I put it in the toaster? Yeah. Try it. See what happens. If the first lot gets burned because they didn't know to turn down the dial, that's how they learn. Okay. You know, these really basic things. Take them to a supermarket. If you feel safe, send them off to get something. Send them off to get, how do I figure it out? Well, at the top of the aisle, it tells you what might be down that aisle. So you can... I will help you figure this out. And if you can create that with your child, of, I will help you figure this out. I think that counts for so much when they then get older. But teaching kids how to do things, to, you know, but, but then standing back and letting them figure it out. And letting them make the mistake. Yeah. Burn the toast. <laughs> Forget to put the dishwasher tablet in. It's like when yeah. I, in Kindrama, we have these costumes and they're like little Velcro costumes and I hand them all out and I say, see if you can get them on. Now, some of them end up with them on their head or, you know, around their Lovely. neck and backwards, front, you know, whatever. But it's part of it, right? Because if yeah. we if we get them all dressed, A, it takes loads of time, but B, 
you know, they're never going to learn how to do it because you just did it for them. Yeah. And they're chuffed I mean, to bits when they go, look, I got mine on by myself. Yes. So that is that innate feeling of satisfaction. And this is something parents always ask me, how can I help my child be intrinsically motivated in life? How can I get them to care for themselves? So this is another bit about children who are suicidal. It's really important that parents take off any pressures of them to do stuff. You know, parents say to me, they haven't even tidied their room the last two weeks. I say, yeah, don't expect them to because they're operating at full capacity. Children who are suicidal that I have met on the inside, say on the inside, I don't know, I've got my hands up for people who are listening. There's like this much room inside of them. Nine tenths of that space, nine and a half tenths, 9.8 tenths is taken up with fuzzy thinking. So the extra bit is helping them eat, is helping them get dressed, is helping them clean their teeth, is helping them do the basics of life that are keeping them through. For, for some children, other children who are suicidal are totally functioning still, but take the pressure off. And what does that mean for a child that isn't getting dressed or isn't eating? Are, are, you, are you trying to encourage them to get up and come on, let's come downstairs, let's eat something, let's get yeah. washed? I mean, I think when a child has gone to that place, they've totally shut down. So that might need a medical intervention as well to help. Okay. I mean... So I guess it's always helpful to do, I find it helpful to do a little recap at the end. So I think it's come up time and time again that if this is the situation you are in, you need help. You yeah. need a counsellor. You need even PA to house. You need, and we're going to put these contact numbers actually on the, on our blurb so that you can find yeah. them. And um, you can walk into A&E as well. Oh, can you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You can just walk into A&E with your child and say, look. Okay. Um, GP. Yeah. Any of those. Okay. Uh, listening came up as very important. Not talking as the parent, but listening and just being. Yeah. Well, I think maybe maybe I should reframe it to not giving advice. Okay. You know, and maybe yeah. some people are looking for advice. I don't want parents to think they have to be totally mute, you know, but for the most part, kids are stuffed anyway. Kids are stuffed and overwhelmed with information and what they should be doing. And they're stuffed with well-being programs and talking about mental health and talking, 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 mm. but nobody's helping them feel safe. So I guess, you know, a good place to start is what, how can I, how, what do you want from me? As in, do you want me to talk or do you want me to listen? Yeah, and just to throw a curveball into that, sometimes they need you just to be the leader and just to try doing something. And if it doesn't work, recognize it and do something else. You know, some of the people I've worked with, they wouldn't have the capacity to say that yet. Maybe they're afraid of the parent. Maybe they don't know themselves. So you try and you tune in and you try and just, you do your best. And if you know that doesn't work, then you do something else. Actually, quick question. And it was, it sounds like a whole new podcast probably, but if your child is self-harming, can that potentially escalate to suicide? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's Again, a warning that. sign. I don't know if it's a warning sign, but it, it's just that your child can't cope with what's going on inside. That's what it is. Te that, that's okay. what self-harm is telling you that they can't handle what's going on. So a lot like, of what oh, we talked about today is is relevant for that too. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think with self-harm, again, I'm trying to think of the people I've met over like the last two years, just to keep it like relevant, um, is pressure. It's that they feel pressure at home or they feel pressure in life in general. And the release of self-harm is the thing that's like the pulling the ring pull on the can that's you know that is the release okay so we want the release to be the parents taking the emotional load off them that's what we want okay um and obviously very practically kind of making sure that that child isn't on their own that might mean sleeping in the same room i'm assuming it definitely means you know no doors being closed probably not even bathroom doors things like that you know if your child is actively suicidal just making sure that you are keeping an eye on them in some capacity all the time yeah yeah I mean and, and it depends because the, the, there is like crisis levels where there's like absolute crisis and then there's times that they are suicidal but still need space you know and again this is just really individual stuff to talk through with somebody it's really tricky navigating it isn't it and it like our favorite phrase here is playing detective but that's that seems to be what it is for this too does your child need you to talk does your child need you to listen does your child need space does your child need you to be with them to keep them safe yeah and it changes every day it could change 10 times in a day you know so this is why it's really exhausting for parents you know it's really really exhausting you will not be ever feel a tiredness like this because it's the tiredness of emotions um but but i have to say though that the parents I've met who come to me who are like, right, what do I do? What do I say? They've always, it's always been fine. And and I'm not, you know, if there's anyone listening who's lost a child, I'm not like, I'm not undermining your experience or what happened in your family. I'm saying it's possible to support parents to support their children, but every family is different. Perfect. We'll see you next week. See you next week.